been interesting the last few weeks, and especially this week, thinking about coming to church and typically seeing people that I see maybe once a week, some I see a couple times a week, and it's, it's just so interesting because uh, being out and about for essential things this week, like at Costco, I saw a couple people from church and uh, running on trails or biking on trails, um, almost ran over the Ricklick family. They just weren't paying attention. They should watch where they're going. Um, but yeah, it's been so great to even just see in passing and momentarily from a distance people uh, who we are so accustomed to seeing regularly and, and visiting and catching up. And so um, I'd encourage you to, to make sure you just keep being intentional about uh, texting people, calling people, um, connecting with people uh, during this time because it's just so important and it's, it's so good to be able to, to, to do that. Um, this morning, I have a question for you. Uh, have you ever asked a question, I, I just want to know what Jesus wants from me? Um, I think that's a pretty, pretty realistic question, and, 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 and it's, it's a good question, but it's also kind of a, a dangerous question because, because I think that uh, it's easy for us to say, you know, God, what do you want from me? But really what we're asking is, God, um, how can, how can your, what your desire for me and what I want be in alignment, um, and mostly like you moving toward me. Um, it's, easy, it's easy, I think, to want that. And, and so I guess, you know, the, the question is, um, do we really wanna know what Jesus wants from us in everything? Or do we maybe want a handful of big things and then we can kind of make the decision about the rest? This morning, we're gonna be looking at a passage that I think has a kind of a micro uh, kind of a micro application and a macro ac- application. And um, I think that the Bible tends to be clearer than we act like it is. Um, I, I think that, that we tend to create loopholes to say, well, that's just confusing, I'm not sure. Or I think this means this, and it really is pretty clear what it means. Um, we tend to have a history of either overstating things in Scripture making them stronger for our benefit or understating them to make them weaker for our benefit. And that's typically what, what we do. It's, it's really about us when we over or understate things in scripture. Uh, like when Jesus talks about the things that, that he wants from us, we can tend to over or understate those things. Uh, I, I think deep down what we really kind of want is God to kind of legitimize those things that are most comfortable to us or our preferences and, and, and that way we just become, you know, more comfortable with those things. And, and so the reality is part of becoming like Jesus and part of our transformational growth is, 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 is living in a way that we, that we actually follow Scripture and, and we actually live the way Jesus lived in our culture and in our time. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage that actually I think is fairly clear but somehow it's been overstated by some in church history and understated by others throughout church history. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to, to Colossians chapter three. Uh, we're gonna start in verse 17, which is where Travis ended uh, last week. And, and I wanna just start by reading verse 17 because I think it's super important because this is the umbrella that comes over the entire passage. It, it's, there's, there's two things that are going on in this passage. There's the stuff that Paul talks about, which he's really talking about kind of the, the household management, the, the codes, the rules 
that God calls those in the, in the family to live by. And, and that's, that's kind of the, that's what I would say is, is the, the ancient the ancient part of it. It's those, it's those things that, that Paul is saying, this is how you need to live. This is how you live in, in the community of the family. But then there's what I would call the Christological context, which is verse 17, which Paul says this. He says, and whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So he says, no matter what you do, no matter what it is, no matter what time, see the, the ancient stuff that Paul talks about, that's stuff that, that is important and transfers from culture to culture, sometimes applied in, in slightly different ways because of the setting that it's in. But then there's the Christological stuff, which is an umbrella that never changes, that's always the same, that, that we live by. That is our foundation and what we live up to. And so, and so really what, what that umbrella is, is that whatever we do, whether we're, it's speaking or doing or thinking, whatever it is, we do it in the name of Jesus. In other words, we do it in a way that it reflects Jesus accurately, and we do it with gratitude and thanksgiving in our hearts. And, and so, and so that's, that's, what, that's what Paul is saying in that. That's that umbrella statement. And so, so as we get into this, we need to recognize that the ancient part of this and the part that's important is what Paul talks about in, in, in verses 18 through chapter four, verse one. But the Christological context, that umbrella that's over everything, that everything has to be understood through, it's the interpretive grid of all of this is verse 17. And basically, what if I was to summarize verse 17, it's this. Honoring Jesus frames everything we do. Honoring Jesus frames everything we do. If we do something that doesn't honor Jesus, then we need to question why we do it. And, and so what, what Paul does in the passage we're gonna be looking at today in Colossians 3 is, is he essentially gives a, a list of household rules or a household code, or kind of how to manage the home. Those relationships, that community that there's. Because the household was the basic unit of the state. And still today, it is, it is to a degree. It's still the basic unit. And, and, and so codes for, for the household were common in, in that culture. And there was codes of how you lived, how you interacted, how the relationships worked out. And it's so interesting that this is our passage for today because, because we, we planned this back last year. We talked about what we were gonna be doing and when we were gonna be doing it. And, and it's interesting that, that today, household management is probably even more significant for us now because of, of what we're living in. The fact that we're living under a season of this idea of shelter in place and we're basically living in our families. The people that we are spending the most time with now our families in our homes in ways that we probably haven't spent for a while. And, and so maybe, maybe you're in a family that like just didn't have many rules and kind of everybody do what you want to do and we just kind of live and let live, which probably doesn't work well right now. And, and maybe you're in a family that has an abundance of rules and, and, it, and it's, 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 it's just, maybe you feel a little overwhelmed. And, and right now, we've got to find a way to manage in, in our homes and in our families. 
And, and, and so the relational context of the family in, 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 in Israel and in, in the Roman culture was the husband and the wife, the children and the father, and the master and the servants. Those were all the household relationships. And, and, and so the question that Paul was kind of answering or what he was trying to give light to is how does surrender to Jesus affect the primary unit of community back then and how does, how does surrender to Jesus affect the primary unit of community now? Because really, our families, uh, a husband and a wife, or, or a mom and dad and children, that is the, the first and foremost community that we experience. That is the, the ground level of community, and that affects everything else. And so the Jesus family a family who committed themselves to Jesus or maybe a, a father or a husband who became a Christian but his, the rest of his family wasn't or, or children who became believers. Or, but, the, but the Jesus family was, was a witness to the unbelieving world and those relationships then need to be above reproach and they need to be a good example of who Jesus is and how Jesus works. And so the question then is how or who has the authority to actually give us those codes or rules or, or management of the family? Well, we go back to what we talked about a number of weeks ago when we started our pattern series and we spent time in Genesis, that in Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything in a particular order, that everything had order and then at the end of it, God said, hey, this is good. And he, he kind of placed things in, in, in different ways and, and gave things different responsibilities. But then in, in chapter two, verses 18 to 25, God actually institutes the family and says, this is how the family needs to work. And so God, being the creator of all things that we see and don't see, and being the creator of the family, then it would make sense that he would be the one who would have the authority and the right to speak of the codes that we abide by in family. And so again, Looking at, at everything that we talk about today under the umbrella of, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything ratchets up, ladders up to that statement. And so in verse 18, we begin with, in verse 18 and 19, we begin with the first relationship within the home and the one that's actually the foundation, the bedrock, because you see, if this relationship is messed up, then the whole family is messed up. And that's the relationship between uh, a wife and a husband. And so, and so Paul begins in verse 18. And as we go through this, I just want to say, there's going to be a pattern that comes up. There's going to be something that we'll see with one group of people and another group of people that forms as we walk through. And basically what it is, is that those who are most vulnerable are called to live in a way that it, it, it helps them to be less vulnerable. And those who have authority are called to limit the freedom that they have in exercising that authority. So you'll watch as this kind of forms as we go through this passage. So verse 18 and 19 are about husbands and wives. And so it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is one of those verses that has been understated and overstated 
in churches and in Christian homes throughout history. And, and, I, and, I, and I, as, as I got into this, I, I think I'm not sure why it's been so understated or overstated. Well, I guess I do know why. It's because we kind of have our own desires and preferences. And, and so one of the things that we need to understand right out of the gate is the difference between submission and obedience. Those are two very different things because see, Paul starts and says, wives, submit to your husbands. But later when it talks about children and servants, it talks about obedience. And so these are two terms that we can easily mix up, but they are very distinct and significantly different. So obedience is actually simply a response to a rule. The person under authority obeys because the rule is in focus. It is about the rule, and if you break the rule, you get punished or you lose something or something happens. You are required to obey the rule. And that rule is enforced by someone in authority. That's what obedience is. Submission, on the other hand, is not a response to rules. In fact, the person under authority submits because the love of the person in authority is in focus. It's not that the person in authority is the, the, the one who enforces the rule. It's that the one who submits, submits on their own accord. And so here, in, in, in Colossians 3, verse 18, Paul uses submission. He does not use obey like he does with children and servants. If he was going to, to go, if he, if he was going for obedience in the marriage, husband, wife relationship, then he would have said obedience, but he didn't. He says submission. And so here's the particulars. Who? Who is supposed to submit? Women in general to men? Absolutely not. It is the wife of her husband, uh, not women in general. In fact, we see all kinds of examples throughout the Old and New Testament of women who were the head of their own household. Single women, widowed women, women, it, it, in fact, in the New Testament, it has all these examples of, of, of church, home churches who met in different uh, influential women of that, of that society and culture's home. And so we have all kinds of examples of that. And so the, the who is not just, is not a gender thing. It's a marriage relationship. It's a family thing. It's a marriage relationship thing. And so what about the how? How then does submission, uh, what does it look like? How do you do it? And the Greek term for submission that Paul uses here is upotasso. And, and what this word means is it is a voluntary placing oneself under authority of another. This term is used in reference to God. Submit yourself then to God. Submit, submit yourself to the law. Submit yourselves to Jesus Christ. Submission to the church. Submission to authority. Submission to leaders. It's used in all of those things. And, and the thing that is, that it, that the reality of submission is that the power of submission is in the hand of the one submitting, not the authority. Now, when it comes to obedience, the power is actually in the person who has the authority. But submission is a voluntary act. 
In fact, this, this whole idea in, in this passage in particular is further emphasized by the grammar itself because th- this, this word is in the middle voice, which is, means it's, it's something that a person enacts upon themselves rather than an external force. So it is, I am submitting myself to another. That's how Paul's using it. And so I want to I just say, because I, I've heard so many things in, in, in the church in, throughout my life where we've seen this idea brought to a place where it's not necessarily biblical, not the biblical meaning or understanding. And so I want you to understand that, that, that there's a couple statements that I feel like I've, I've heard pretty regularly over my lifetime, and neither of these statements are actually biblical statements. The first one is this, where a Christian husband would say in reference to his Christian wife, you need to submit to me because that's what the Bible says. That's not actually a biblical statement. It doesn't work with the spirit of what Jesus taught nor what Paul says here because the whole point of his thing of wives submit to your husband is that you are voluntarily submitting. There's not someone else demanding you. The one who's demanding you is Jesus. And so if it's in maybe Jesus' court, but a husband, actually it's not necessarily a biblical thing for them to say, you need to submit to me. Because that's actually more on the turf of obedience rather than submission. But also the other statement that I, that I, that I know I've heard throughout my life is, is, is of, a, of a Christian wife about her husband saying, well, you know, he's just the boss and I need to do what he says. And that's not really biblical either. No, you, it's that you, this is part of your maturity and spiritual maturity and growth in Jesus Christ reflecting him that you are voluntarily saying, you know what? Even though I have the ability to choose to say, I'm, I'm not gonna work with you, that you voluntarily submit your will and you say, you know what? Because I love Jesus, I'm going to walk this way. And, and so we have to be careful. See, really, this idea of submission is a voluntary cooperation in view to make much of Jesus, not of another person. And, 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 so, and so what's interesting about this idea, especially placing it under the umbrella of verse 17, about everything in the name of Jesus and in gratitude to God, is that there's a reality that submission in this verse is conditioned by the love of the husband. It's conditioned by the love of the husband. See, really, the response that a husband has to say to a wife who they are struggling and maybe battling and arguing isn't, you need to submit to me, it's, I love you. That's actually the Jesus response to an argument. And and, and so really what we understand is that submission may take different forms in different cultures because really what Paul was dealing with in this culture was a culture where there was no limits on the man's rights or choices that he could do with his family. It was, a, it was this hardcore patriarchal society where life and death was in the fathers, the patriarchs of that household's hands. And so he could do whatever he wanted without limitation. He could punish He could do all kinds of things. And so submission may take different forms in different cultures. Our culture, it might look different than it did there. But there's still 
the understanding that because God is saying, these are the codes for the family, that, that this, is, this is the role. And, and so, and I want you to also understand that, that this passage is not a proof text to get your way. <laughs> because again, we tend to want our way and we proof text. And we say, no, my decision is final because this is what the Bible says. It says, you're supposed to submit to me. If we use this verse that way, is that loving? Because once you do that as proof texting, maybe as a husband, you've actually abdicated your role as loving. That's not how, that's not how it works. And so we see that, that, that Paul says that, but then in verse 19, he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, an, another way to interpret that would be, do not embitter them. And so he says, husbands, love your wives and he says, do not be harsh with them or embitter them. As I said, the husband could do pretty much whatever he wanted, say whatever he wanted, get whatever he wanted. And what Paul's saying here is, you need to love your wife. And what does love mean? If you really love someone, oftentimes it means that you give up getting your way. And you can see this theme coming in the person of authority. Paul is saying, you ratchet back, you limit the authority that you have. You place, even if culture and society doesn't limit your authority, you are called as a Jesus follower to limit yourself. And so he says, love your wives, which means not always getting your way. Because again, the Roman culture, there was no limits. Life and death was in the patriarch's hand. And, and, and running a house that way would cause to embitter or frustrate everyone. And so the Jesus way, within order, like the order of creation that God believes in order, with humility, kindness, and not the lust to be obeyed and served, which is so prevalent in our world, it's not about getting what you want. What is biblical love? We've talked about this so many different times. It's where kindness, patience, and honesty intersect. Where those three things mean meet, that is the love that Jesus modeled. And, and so what, what he's saying to, to husbands and wives, he's saying, look, here, there has to be order in the family and, and, a, and a husband and wife relationship has to be rock solid. And you've got to work together and first and foremost, everything the two of you do has to be in the name of Jesus and with gratitude toward God. And that there is a submission to each other, but here's, here's what it is. The wife voluntarily submits, and, and sometimes that could look like disobedience because submission actually goes up to God, Jesus Christ himself. And when, when there is maybe a, a move to go a direction, and, and even if it's just unwise, there is a responsibility because they are working together to say, I don't think I can do this. I don't think this is the right decision. It's not just, well, you're the boss, you say it. But there's a volunteer. See, a person can be disobedient and submissive at the same time. And, 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 so, and so there's a reality that, that, that we are called then, the husbands are called to love, which means self-sacrifice and not getting your way and limiting your authority, and limiting what you can do, and actually living like Jesus as a servant for those around you. 
Paul goes on in verse 20 and he, and he shifts to, to children and fathers. The reason he talks about children and fathers is because when, when a child reached age seven, up from, one, from zero to seven, the children were mainly raised by, by the mother in the home in that culture. But when they reached the age of seven, then they were to be molded by the father. And so, and so in verse 20, it says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. When Paul says, children, obey your parents, he's talking about a son or a daughter of really any age. And part of that is culture, because culture was that the father was in charge until death. And children were property of the father, <laughs> which seems ridiculous, but that's how that culture was, the Roman, Greco-Roman culture. That's what it looked like. And so the point of Paul saying, obey your parents, is so that you are characterized as noble when you must disobey. In other words, it's like this. The reality is that Paul's talking to children who might be living in a home where their parents or their father is not a Jesus follower. And so he says, so obey your father so that if your father asks you to do something that doesn't correlate with, with Jesus' desires for you, with God's law, then you can say, you know what, I, 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 in everything I've obeyed, but I cannot do this. And so that you won't be characterized as someone, well, you always are bucking the system. You're always disobeying. So that you have this integrity of character that actually puts down the dismissive nature of, well, you're always rebelling. See, our culture, uh, children are at home for a while and then they move out and they kind of have their own lives. And, and so as we apply this here at home, there's, there's obedience, but when they move out, there's kind of deference and honor to parents. So that relationship changed, whereas in that culture that Paul's talking about, they live together pretty much the whole time. And, and so then he says, he says, and fathers... Again, the limiting of the person in authority. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so it's interesting because Paul, again, says, you may be given rule of law according to your society, according to your government. You might have no limits, but because of Jesus, you are called to limit yourself. You are called to limit yourself. And so do not provoke your children sacrifice some of the things that maybe you are most comfortable with, some of the rights you have for your children so they will not be discouraged, so they will be encouraged, so they will grow up to love and pursue Jesus as well. So then he goes on to the third relationship that was very common in the Greco-Roman household, which was slaves and masters, servants and masters. And, and I want you to understand that when he talks about these slaves in this passage, he's talking about a household slave who lived in the home of this family. Not necessarily thinking of like a big estate where, where slaves worked out in the fields or like slaves being taken from one place and uh, working in a mine or slaves that are on like a ship, a galley and working there. These were household slaves, slaves nonetheless, but it was the particular context of, of the home. And, and, and before, before we get too far into this, um, 
I think my desire would be in, in living in my culture, in my context, would be that Paul would say, slavery's wrong no matter what. And so as a Christian patriarch, you need to release those who are enslaved in your home. And because he doesn't do that, some people question, well, is, 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 Paul, is Paul giving in to social conformism? Is he uh, saying slavery's okay in certain instances? He's not at all. He's actually doing something that's, that's really significant. He's, he's basically asking the question, the motivation for what Paul is preaching here is how do I make this person the least vulnerable that they can be? Because what Paul knew about the Roman government and the Roman culture is that you could not influence their policy. Like we live in, 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 a, in a different governing system where we can influence policy they couldn't. And so if Paul called the slaves to rise up and reject their masters, then that would be a death sentence for them because their masters could kill them as could the Roman officials. And then, well, okay, fine, but, but why didn't maybe Paul encourage Christian masters to, to give their slaves freedom? Well, he, he did in a sense when he wrote the message to Philemon about uh, Onesimus he said, he left it at the end up to, up to Philemon and said, you should treat him as your brother, a, a person who is your slave. Treat him as a brother. But Philemon had to make the decision. And the reason Paul did that was because you could free a slave. For example, if Philemon freed Onesimus, then Onesimus would be a free man. However, again, in the society, the Roman culture, if another person saw Onesimus, and he wasn't bound to a certain master, they could pick him off the street and make him their slave. And that may have been a far worse situation than Onesimus was in in the first place. And so Paul, not giving up, not condoning culture, but Paul says, how do I make this person the least vulnerable? And so this is the advice he gives. This is the, the, the order he gives to those who are servants in homes. He says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. He basically says, look, the way for you to be the safest is that you work where you are and you place your focus on Jesus and that everything you do, you're doing for Jesus. And then he says this, he says in verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. He says, look, and the things that you can't control because those servants, those slaves were the bottom, they were, they were below animals. And so they were the most vulnerable of society. And Paul says, you know what? Do what you can, focus on Jesus. And I want you to know something, that when you are wronged, God sees it and he will not let it go. Without part, it doesn't, you can't buy your way out of God seeing your wrong that you're doing. And so he says, he says you, you, are, you are favored by God. And if your earthly master's 
use their authority abusively and you have no recourse, you are unable to do anything about that, he says, don't lose hope because God will confront and deal with them without partiality. Then he says this, he says, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Again, you see the theme of those who are vulnerable, wives, because husbands had all the power, children, because fathers had, children were basically property of, of fathers, and, and bond servants, slaves, who had no say in anything. All of those who are vulnerable, God gives this template to say, look, Know that what you're doing in your submissive posture is, is in view of Jesus Christ, not the person who's exercising authority over you. And, and be submissive until a line is crossed that you are asked or called to disobey Christ. And then the theme that he does with those who have authority is take a step back from your authority, limit your authority, and serve those who you have authority over. He says, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. In other words, what he says is, the way your master in heaven, the way God has dealt with you as your master, you deal with those who are your servants. Give your life up for them. Give them mercy that they don't deserve. Give them grace. Be kind. Give them an inheritance. What Paul is saying here is actually huge to those who are, are Jesus-following masters. They have to make their own choices to what they're gonna do to try and make it so that these most vulnerable of society will be the le in the least vulnerable position as possible. Basically, what, 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 what Paul says is Jesus is master over all and that the church reflects God's design and masters and slaves are equals. And, and so, and so as, as we kind of go from what we see that, that Paul talks about in the, in the household code that he gives to the believers in the, in the city of Colossae and how they need to live, he does this almost micro application that, that is for the family unit. This is how we function to reflect Jesus to the world around us. But there's actually a bigger application to this. There's Jesus principles that are that are that are even go beyond our culture and are and are true for forever. And so March 29th, 2020, I believe that looking at this passage in application to today, we are called to three things. I believe we're called to three things. And the first one is this: submit to the authorities so that when we have to disobey, it will be difficult to dismiss us, which gives us credibility. I believe that, 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 that there's, this, there's this theme in scripture that's very clear over and over again, 
that basically says this, that, that basically says that, that when you master submission, then you're ready for authority. When you master submission, you're ready for authority. Because you see, if, if I haven't figured out how to be submissive, then I will be a brutal leader. That's not just one group of people that are called to master submission, but all of us are. Every person, no matter what their authority is, they have to submit somewhere. And so our role today, as, as we think about what we're living in, the, the time of history that we're in, that we've been asked to shelter in place. And it's interesting to, to hear the different conversations of, of, of the culture around us and even in the church world. Do we, do we obey or do we dismiss? What do we do? And the reality is that I think God is giving us an opportunity to build credibility as the church right now to be submissive because at some point we're gonna have to stand up and disobey because what's been asked of us crosses the line of righteousness. And when that day comes, we need to have the credibility so that we're not dismissed to say, oh yeah, well that group of people, they're always acting like this. They're always rebelling. They're always making noise. They're always. See, wouldn't it be interesting that if the church actually stood up together in unity and said, we, will, we cannot do this, that, that the world's response would be, man, they're usually the easiest to work with. So what's going on? Because that builds credibility. The second thing that I would say that we're called to today in this culture, in this moment, is to sacrifice for those who are most vulnerable, which is righteousness. That comes straight from Jesus. Jesus Christ himself sacrificed himself for those who were most vulnerable. Who was most vulnerable? Every one of us. We were all condemned to hell. And so what are we called to do? Sacrifice for those who are the most vulnerable. And, and what's interesting right now, and I know it's hard and it's frustrating and it's difficult for everyone. And some it's even harder for others because they've been laid off or lost jobs or have to deal with, if I shut down my business, I don't know what I'm gonna do. But here's the thing, as Jesus followers, the reason our life is being adjusted right now is for those who are the most vulnerable. And if your lifestyle isn't changed or you're bucking against it, I think the question that you'd have to ask yourself is, do I really wanna be like Jesus? Am I really following Jesus? Because of any person in all of history, Jesus sacrificed for those who were most vulnerable. And thirdly, this. Measure what you do and say by the character of Jesus and the gratitude level in your heart. Measure what you do and say by the character of Jesus and the gratitude level in your heart. That comes from verse 17. That in all things, do in the name of Jesus Christ and with thankfulness to God. So, so what you do, what we say, how we talk, how we interact with people, are we doing things that actually reflect the character of Jesus and is there gratitude? One of the things I'm learning about myself is that I am not nearly grateful enough 
for what God has given to me now that there are certain things that are being limited? Do these things that God has blessed me with give me my happiness and joy? Or are they just benefits from where my joy and my happiness and my security is in Christ? Even during this time, my hope for what people see in me in what I do and what I say reflects Jesus and that they see that regardless of what I have or don't have, that I'm grateful for it. That's transformation. My prayer for our church is that we are seen as a group of people who are easy to work with, who are first and foremost submissive to Jesus Christ, which informs our decisions, that we are a people who sacrifice for the most vulnerable and that we continue to transform to be like Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and I thank you so much for your love. And God, how you so incredibly meet us where we are. Father, I pray for the, the, so all of us who are in our homes and, and we get out a little bit, but, but our home situations are different than they've probably ever been before. God, I pray that we would recognize your the way that you have called us to live together as families and as couples and as individuals. Father, I pray that, that as we engage culture around us, that we would not ruin our credibility, but our credibility would increase during this time so that we would have greater influence in God that when we have to stand up for what's right and we have to disobey, we have to reject, that God, that would not be dismissed because of the kind of people people see us to be. Father, I thank you for our church family. And I thank you for what you're doing even now. And I pray that you would cause us to look more like you coming through and out of this season in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to remember that if you need prayer, if you, if you want somebody to pray, pray with you today, if you have a need that's out there or if you wanna serve in some way, please text 555-888. And if you need prayer, just put in the line CP prayer. Or if you have a need or wanna serve, put in CP needs. Remember that you're not alone and that this is what com gospel community is built for. We'll see you next week.